is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Well, thank you. What a great morning. Um, so, Nehemiah, and we're into chapter five uh, already, and uh, the, the series is going through. Nehemiah is just such a, a, an amazing character. And uh, uh, so let's, chapter five is what we're reading. Um, so uh, I've taken mine from uh, the NIV. Uh, so I'll read through it and then um, take you on the journey that I've been on. So um, let's, uh, let's have a look at uh, Nehemiah chapter five. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and our daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards, although we are the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews. And though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have brought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people only to have them sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued. What you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending them money. And, and so that they can buy grain. Let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields and vineyards, olive groves and houses, and also the interest you are charging them, 1% of the money, grain, new wine, olive oil. We will give it back, they said, and we will not demand any more from them. We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said in this way, may God shake out of their houses and possessions anyone who does not keep the promise. So may such a person be sh shaken out and emptied. At this, the whole assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord, and the people did as they had promised. Moreover, from the 20th year of King Xerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, until the 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. 
But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also loaded it over the, lorded it over the people. But out of reverence to God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on the wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some, some poultry, some poultry, not upholstery, poultry were prepared for me. And uh, every day, every 10 days, an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. Remember me with favour, my God, for all I have done for these people. So here we are, um, Nehemiah 5, looking at this uh, lovely character of Nehemiah. He's, uh, uh, he, he's just such a, a, a wonderful uh, example for us. Uh, to think about uh, the things that he did in God. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I read some of the characters in scripture and have a look at some uh, amazing things that Christians are doing around the world. Great authors, great preachers, uh, miracles happening, growing churches, doing all sorts of things. How do they do it? Okay. And uh, perhaps a better question what is, why does God do it? for them and maybe not so much uh, around me. Uh, it might be a better question. Well, I have a look at Nehemiah and uh, the character that we've got. Um, he fits really well in with Ezra and uh, and uh, some of the uh, other uh, in, in Chronicles, etc. When we have a look at the, the, the period of the exiles in um, this part of scripture, where the Jews are coming back from captivity from the Persian Empire, etc. It can get quite confusing when you start having a look at the dates and the times but when we look at Nehemiah um, I was looking at his character and not so much in the chapter five but how he behaves right the way through the book of Nehemiah how does he behave and where does this character um, have the authority and the wherewithal and the sensitivity to be able to approach what is really, really difficult situations? Uh, and we see that he actually ends up rebuking the people of God on a number of occasions over a number of key issues. Right? So uh, and he does this out of a sense of love. For God and his word in scripture, he does this out of a sense of love for the people. So <clears throat> right way back in, in uh, Nehemiah 1, we see uh, Nehemiah getting, getting a report of uh, how the people of God were having a real, really difficult time in Jerusalem. In fact, their walls were all broken down, etc. Now, if we were, if we had loved ones somewhere and we found out that they didn't even have a door on their house, the windows were empty, we would know how vulnerable they were, etc. Now, when we look at Nehemiah, what does Nehemiah do in chapter one? He, he, his heart is broken for the people. Now, where did that love and that heart come from? 
if you look at the prayer he prays, the prayer that he prays before God for the people and uh, prays and fasts for several months. In fact, the commentators tell us that actually he prayed for twice as long as it took to actually build, rebuild the walls. He prayed and fasted. He was, heart, he was heartbroken. But the prayers that he prayed were all the promises of God. He repented for the things that the people had done wrong, how they hadn't kept to scripture and the law and the commandments of God. And, and it's so, so, so when we have a look at Nehemiah, we can see that he was, he was a man that was actually in tune with God. And, and, and when we have a look at Nehemiah and the love that he had for God and the dependence that he had on God every day, he was a man who had a job that was actually the cupbearer. This was the official taster of the king's food and wine. Now, you might think that's a nice job, but the reason he had that job was because people would try to poison the king and assassinate the king. So Nehemiah's job was to taste the food that could easily have been poisoned. He had to, he was risking his life every day in the job that he did. He was risking his life and coming before God every day, asking God to protect you because your life was at stake. Your life was in the hands of God. And actually, when we really come down to it, everybody's life is in the hands of God, isn't it? Every breath that I take, every heartbeat that I have is a gift from God. He, he's numbered my days and he blesses me. But actually, knowing your mortality and knowing the risk that you take on a daily basis in that sort of environment must have brought Nehemiah to God on a regular basis. To God in his word and God in prayer and God in fasting. This was the man that came and did these things. So as we have a look at that, we can see that he must have known something of God's heart for his people. Because when the report came, he had God's heart for the people, God's broken heart for the people that were in, were in really difficult situations. So my, I have three uh, parts to uh, this, this, this word this, uh, today, and that's what God's laid it on my heart, was actually, first of all, um, this whole word of love, God's love for us and our need to love one another, okay? To know God's love and then love others with that love. Uh, and when we receive from God, then we can give out of our hearts that God has given us for others. And it was great just to hear those testimonies of actually reaching out with love to one another. What a reward it is, you know, to, to actually be blessed in that way. Uh, the more we give, actually, the, the more we get. It, the, the blessing is in, in the giving, isn't it? So when we're having a look at Nehemiah, there he is. He's, he's full of God's love, full of God's word. And when he's praying for the people, he's reminding God about God's promises. And so his foundation is knowing God, knowing God through his word and scripture. And then my, my, my second piece was to actually think about unity. And my third word that I have actually is blessing. So when we actually come before God and Nehemiah did this, he was before God and broken hearted before God. And when you're when you're praying and interceding for people, God has a way of just feeding that into your heart feeding that as a compassion, feeding that, really feeling for them. Uh, I, I know that uh, for me, when I'm praying, uh, sometimes is, you, you, to pray for people when you know they're doing wrong, praying for people who have maybe even done you wrong. Um, scripture tells us, pray for those who curse you, pray for your enemies, pray for, as well as praying for loved ones. Now, I don't know about you, but 
when I'm praying for people who have done me wrong, it it's hard to start with. It's hard to start with. But the longer I carry on praying for them, the greater heart of compassion that I have that truly is way past forgiveness and asking God to bless them. In, in the first part of it is it, getting over the personal hurt and praying for people. But then you come into this place of wanting the best for them. And here's Nehemiah knowing uh, what's going on, uh, a little bit about what's going on in Jerusalem. And uh, so so my my. The word that God's laid on my heart, and I think this is this is part of the challenge, is working in this unity of God so that we move into the blessings that he has for us. We don't do it for the blessings. We do it because actually we want to be closer to God. Now, the way this worked for me through this study uh, was... Um, just the way that Nehemiah approached these people. How often do Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, come to you and say, do you know you shouldn't be doing this? Do you know this is how it should be? Um, and almost, uh, I don't see that as, as, as a walk with uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. I, I, you know, the word of God is good for, and we find that actually it's good for bringing discipline, it's bringing, bringing correction, it's good for, and, and hold on a moment, what's Paul going to say to us now? Is he going to accuse us? No, 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 no. Uh, because actually that's not what the, God, the word of God does, it doesn't accuse us. But actually, now and again, the word of God brings conviction in us that we need to change. Uh, and when we're having a look at how to grow in God, because here's Nehemiah, here's, here's a person who, who had enough about him later on to be rebuking people and pulling their beard hair out. That's pretty serious, isn't it, really? I haven't seen any Christians do that sort of thing, really. Uh, and that's not what God is calling us to do. We live in a we live in the new covenant of grace. We don't live in a covenant of ticking the boxes. We don't live in a covenant of of, of Nehemiah, where uh, here were the feast days. These are the things you needed to do, etc. Uh, but we do live uh, under God's amazing grace for us. And on, on the one side, we have the amazing grace that could, in its context, so uh, here's the punchy bit, in the context, if we're living in grace, then I can do anything. Why? Because God's washed me clean. I'm, I'm, I'm radiant before him. I'm, I'm righteous before him. He's clothed me in his own righteousness. I can have no better place in salvation than I received when I took Christ in as my Lord and my Saviour. So does that mean I can do anything now then? And actually it's just covered by the blood. No, 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 no. That's not what scripture tells us. Uh, we should be holy as I am holy. That's, that's, that, that's the, the word of God for us. Be holy as I am holy. And uh, how do we then become the people of God that God's calling us to be? Uh, well, we hear the word of God and then we put it into action. We've heard this week from Sunday, last Sunday, uh, we heard the word of God. We put it into action and look at the blessing and how it changes character. And in exactly the same way, um, that's the word of God. I, I thought the words of the song that um, um, we had from Caroline at the end there about how we give it all to God um, and how 
God is our cornerstone. He's the rock that doesn't move. Now, Scripture is one of those things that actually, as we become dig deeper into the Word of God, we become more like the Word of God, and it becomes we we get to know the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We get to know God better. So the unity that we have with God will be reflected in the unity we have with one another. In, in fact, there's this whole thing about the grace uh, and dependence. When I want to be and do the things that God has called me to, it's a challenge. Doing things of my own account, does that, is that going to make me holy? No. But actually doing the things God asks me to do, he empowers me to be holy. So on the one side, there's obedience and discipline, personal. Discipline is not beating up. Discipline is just bringing my life in order with what scripture says. As I take the steps to try and do the things that God wants me to do, what he does is he pours enough power by his Holy Spirit into me to actually enable me to do that. So there's a, a, a really great scripture. It's Romans 12, verse 2. It says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. The writer in Romans, what he's actually saying is you can either be conformed to this world or you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And, and one of the things, as, I, as we read scripture, we rely on the Holy Spirit to bring revelation. We, we, we rely on the Holy Spirit to bring conviction. We, we, we rely on the Holy Spirit when we try and actually conform our thinking to the word of God, that actually he will transform our character and our thinking over to kingdom values, kingdom character, godliness, holiness, love, joy, peace. All the fruits of the spirit come because we receive the word of God and we allow it to take root in us. So when we're having a look at, you know, there's a lovely Psalm 127. It says, uh, unless God builds the house, the builders build in vain. Unless God builds the house, the builders build in vain. And what that's saying is we need to do our part, but actually then we need to allow God to do his part. I was asking myself when God put this on my, on my heart as far as dependency on God on the one side, and uh, personal discipline on the other. Well, okay, Lord, where am I conforming to the world? What, what am I conforming to? Because the, the world impacts us all. It's here 24-7. That's, that's how the, the, the world is all around us, whether it be on the TV, on videos, on, on, on news feeds, on, on internet, uh, Instagram, everywhere. It's coming at you in every different form of communication. And are we being conformed to the world? Because Nehemiah faced that in this scripture. The world charged interest on loans. And the world today charges interest on loans. But in scripture, and in, in, in the commandments of God, what did God say? That you must not charge interest when you loan things to brothers and sisters who are Jews. 
at the time. That was part of that original um, part of the covenant and part of the commandments of God when, when he laid it down, including here we are, the church, we're Jubilee Church, and uh, 49 years, every 49 years, getting into the year of Jubilee, everybody's inheritance, the land, the buildings, etc., the vineyards, etc., would be given back. So even if you had mortgaged it, etc., at that year, it was all given back to you when you started again. So it was okay to, to do certain things, but God had set up a, 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 a society with basic rules so that we would look after one another, we would care for one another, and we must not charge brothers and sisters what they called usury. And that was his accusation about the wealthy people, that they were, they were actually taking advantage of the poor. Uh, and so the world would be doing that and the Jews would be doing that. And forever, for all the time through the Old Testament, we see again and again that every now and again they would get the law out, they would get before God and get on their knees and repent because they weren't keeping the basic guidelines that God had given them. And then the world would get in, et cetera, et cetera, and about a generation later, maybe two generations later, they'd be on their knees before the Lord because someone of God had got up and said, look, this is the word of God. This is how we should be behaving, and we're not doing it. Later on in Nehemiah, he approaches two different things. Uh, one's about um, tithes and gifts and offerings and what, what's not being done. Uh, other times it's kicking people out. They've actually moved into church. Uh, they moved into the temple and started living there. And he turfs all the belongings out. Uh, another time it's about uh, intermarriage and all sorts of things. Uh, and each time he, he approaches it, look, this is what God says. We're not living that way because the world impacted them. So what is it about the world? And I, I had to ask myself, well, Lord, OK, so character wise, what is it that, that, that actually I'm conforming to the world? What, what is it? And uh, he reminded me about the Sabbath. All right. So in, and of course, in Nehemiah, he handles the Sabbath. You're not keeping the Sabbath day holy. And he, he, he confronts the people about what they're not doing. And they, 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 they behave beautifully to him because the word of God is undeniable. This is what God says. You know, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. These are the two main commandments that we see Jesus teaching on and saying, you, you know, if you love me, you will do these things. So it's, it's one of those great, uh, great things. And when I asked God about my own, he said, well, it brought to mind when the law changed about Sunday trading, very relevant to Nehemiah. And uh, there's Jesus when he talks about the Sabbath. Um, he, he, he's having an argument with the Pharisees because they're saying you shouldn't heal people on a Sunday. And he's saying, yes, I should. What's wrong with healing people on a Sunday? So if you work in emergency services or whatever else it is, this is not a message to actually say you shouldn't work on a Sunday. Uh, that's not what this is. We're, we are people of grace anyway. But the Sabbath, do we keep a Sabbath day holy? That's really what it is. So Jesus heals the person on a Sunday. And he gives the example, hey, if you've got an animal falling into a pit, you and your friends go and help get the animal out. Why? Because that's an act of love and fellowship, etc. So it's not saying you shouldn't do anything on a Sabbath, but do we keep the Sabbath day holy? When the law changed to actually open up lots of retailers and so forth, probably 20 plus years ago, I was outraged. <laughs> the world was 
again impinging and uh, and losing our Christian culture in, in the UK and across Europe, etc. And, and I thought, no, I'm not going to be doing that sort of thing, you know. Um, so I'm not going to go buying clothes or whatever else it might be on a Sunday. All the shops were opening and all that sort of thing. And yet here I am thinking to myself, actually, I've moved away from there. I, I, at that time, I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. I think it's, an, you know, you're going to lots of people who would normally have family time on a Sunday aren't going to be able to do that. It's going to destroy family. It's going to be doing this. But here I am. And actually, up until probably a fortnight ago, when I started getting this conviction, would I have gone shopping on a Sunday? Yeah, I probably would have done. Was I being conformed to this world? If I was keeping a Sabbath day holy before the Lord, then that would have been fine. If, I, if, I, if, if, Sunday, if, if Sunday was impossible for me, when was I actually trying to keep time and time faithfully before God, for God, for my relationship with the Father? You know, we were taught this week picking up the phone and talking to people. Well, it's exactly the same with God. Am I picking up the phone and talking to God? Am I praying to God? Am I keeping in that relationship? Am I putting him first? That's what the Sabbath is all about. It's putting him first. And here were, the, here were the people of God in Nehemiah, and they weren't putting God first. How do we do that? Well, actually, it's by reading scripture and allowing God to deal with me. So as I get in unity with God in his scriptures and his spirit and in prayer, then I become a blessing to those around me. Why? Because actually, I want to be in unity with you. I want to fellowship with you. How can we do these things? Uh, well, that, that's where, again, it comes from one, our activities, but also on the other side, our absolute, absolute dependence on God. My, I, I can't improve my salvation, and that's not the goal, but actually I can improve my relationship with God, not because he changes, but I change. I change as I conform to his word and his promises, and uh, et cetera, in scripture, then I can become that blessing to those around me. Why? Because we'll be stronger beacons of the love of God and the grace of God, uh, just as Jesus was. Uh, I need to make sure that when I'm looking at a loving relationship, uh, it's not because of what I can get. Um, uh, and God doesn't reward the fact that I spend an extra hour in prayer. God doesn't reward the fact. But what that does is if I become more and more in tune with what Scripture says, I actually move deeper and deeper into the river of blessing of God. The river of blessing from God is there. The way I get deeper and deeper into that is by owning the word and actually bringing my life in line with what God is asking me to, through scripture and by his Holy Spirit. So the love of God compels us. The love of God blesses us and makes us more and more holy as we work with God. And it's we depend on him. Unless the Lord builds a house, the builders build in vain. So being in tune with God, being obedient to God, disciplining my life and my thinking to be more like him is one of those key things that um, when we have a look at Nehemiah, how does he continue to bring these things before God? 
because the word of God must dwell in him richly to be able to, one, see the challenge, and two, identify how to take the people through the challenge onto the blessing. And he's always about the unity. How, how do we make the unity work? By actually doing the things God has called us to. Love, unity and blessing. I'm just going to bring that to a close uh, now. Um, one of those things that what can I do? Farmers, what they do is is uh, they do all that they can. The illustration uh, of a farmer will actually uh, plough the field. They will fertilise the field. Um, they they will go out and plant the field. Uh, they will do everything they can. They will cultivate the the, the plants as they're growing. They'll do everything they can. Uh, and, but the one thing that they can't do, actually it's probably two, the thing that they can't do is make the seed grow. So doing everything I can and then relying on God to do the miraculous thing that he can do. Uh, and when you have a look at Nehemiah, when he was before the throne and the king, etc., and the king said, why are you sad? He was bold enough. When he got to the war, etc., and he did his survey uh, and that sort of thing. Um, what was he going to do? He did what he could do. He'd already asked the king for resources, and now he had to get the people to engage with actually building the wall. He was forever doing the things that he could do. And as long as he was doing the things he could do, then God could come in and empower the favour and the blessings, etc., to actually rebuild the walls in two months. Seriously, look at the miracle. It was amazing. Doing the things that we can do enables God to do the things that he wants to do. So let's pray as, as we finish our time. Uh, I'm just aware that it's coming up to uh, 31 minutes. So there we are. Father, we thank you that you are a God who delights to work in us and with us. Lord, you see us as your beloved children. And in the same way that we like to see our children, our Lord, accomplish much, your heart for us is that we would accomplish much. Lord, I pray that you would enable us to, Lord, hold on to your scriptural truths and walk in them, to walk in unity with you and in unity with one another. Lord, where brethren gather together and live in unity, you command the blessing. So, Lord, as we give ourselves to you, we look for you to empower us to be holy, righteous and loving in Jesus' wonderful name. Sunday morning.